Today's reading is Psalm 104, 24 through 35. It can be found on page 557 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified, and when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my, med- may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. The word of the Lord. All right. Um, as we open this up to listen to what there is here for us to hear today, um, I'm going to start by opening in prayer. I invite you to um, join me in prayer. Our God of grace, as we come into this space and sit down in these chairs, um, we might have uh, a long history of coming to places like this, or we might be pretty new to it. We might come with sort of a, you know, we've heard it all, we, we know the right answers that religious people know, or we might come with some kind of fresh excitement or nervousness or um, where, where we're looking at you in a brand new way for the first time. We might come with uh, sadness or we might come with happiness. Um, We might come having felt like you've answered things or we might come with fresh doubts. This is all true about what happens when we gather together. These are the kinds of places we come from. And amidst it all, the truth is we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We have that in common. And that takes us to personal places, to difficult places to think about that. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. And messes come on us from the outside, but we also are pretty good at creating them ourselves. I noticed a lot of voices earlier verbalizing the prayer of confession and admitting sins, using that, the S word. There was a lot of voices in this room admitting it. And yet, in this story that we keep coming back to every week, the story of your grace in Scripture, the Bible's story, it's a big, great story that tells us something. It's not just a bunch of rules strung together. It's not a rule book. 
It's a story of your grace, and it tells us that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. As we look to you now and look to Psalm 104 from this story of your grace, would you speak to us with that mixture of grace where we know we're a mess, but we can say we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. That we don't get what we deserve because Jesus didn't get what he deserved in our place. And we're welcomed into the inner circle, the VIP backstage pass with you. That easy through Christ. Would that message be impressed upon us and the wonder and the awe of that now as we listen for your voice and through your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. All right. Well, what, what is awe-inspiring to you? What is awe-inspiring? That was a question of the week that we um, had on the little tag. And um, this week, too, you can fill out an answer to the question of the week that's on the tear-off card. If you want to use that tear-off card to connect with us. But last week's question was, what is awe-inspiring to you? We got a bunch of answers. Um, people, of course, pointed to nature by and large, which is perfect segue into Psalm 104, which also points to nature. People said, probably nature more than anything, from tiny atom-level things to Hubble space photos. And it's amazing that God made us able to even know about and appreciate these things. Someone pointed to their, their they said, my 14-year-old daughter's perspective is awe-inspiring to me. Someone said that God maintains and renews us. Someone said, kids being nice to each other when they think no one is watching. Someone said, a Carlos Santana guitar solo. (laughs) Yeah, whoever said that, I'm with you on that one. Someone else said, the Golden State Warriors. (laughs) Who knew we'd be laughing about that this week? They're they're not looking so awe-inspiring. So we'll see, three more games to go, but it's not looking good for the Warriors. All right, what's awe-inspiring? And also, here's, when you experience something awe-inspiring, like the Grand Canyon, someone wrote down, when you experience something like that, how do you respond? Just think about that for a minute. Like, what do you, how do you react, you know? What's, what do you do when something awe-inspiring happens? You kind of just do, you know, that, that reaction, that kind of ho-hum, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I've seen stuff like that before, heard of stuff like that before. You know, what do you do? Or do you, do you gasp? Do you have a physical reaction? Do you get, sometimes get goosebumps when something amazing, awe-inspiring happens? Do you sing to the, you know, I'm singing right now. Do a little happy dance, a George Costanza, you know, happy dance. What do you do when something awe-inspiring happens? Um, and that's, that's really what happens. So in Psalm 104, a bunch of awe-inspiring things are listed. And, and really, we're getting at how do you react to these? What do you do with these awe-inspiring things? And where do you go with it? What do you do? How do you respond? And Psalm 104 is basically saying, I'll give you the theme on the front end in a way. God's spirit, or breath, it's the same word, breath, wind, spirit, Ruach, God's spirit is pulsating 
amidst the most awe-inspiring forces in our world that you can experience. God's Spirit is pulsating amidst all of these experiences that are awe-inspiring. Let me just touch on a couple of these that are dealt with in Psalm 104. And we're only dealing with part of the psalm today. That's the, it's a partial reading that we had. First, there's the sea. The sea. We read in um, verse uh, 24 and 23. So the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond numbers, living things both large and small. The sea, definitely, I've had those moments where you're at the edge of the water or you're in the water. When I was snorkeling a couple weeks ago in Maui and, I, and the waves started coming and I was like literally in over my head. And it was like, I have to game plan here because these things are coming in hard and fast and I can see that there's like reef that's kind of shallow there. It was scary and terrifying and kind of awe-inspiring. The sea, I don't know if you've had a sea experience where you're kind of humbled and you're in awe. Well, in the ancient Canaanite pantheon of gods, and by that I just mean the, the, the thinking of the day when these people in their place were writing songs like this, the thinking was that the sea was one of the, the most terrifying deities that was out there. Something about its, its sort of chaos and it seemed arbitrary in how it just kind of doled out either, you know, good or bad for you. So in the Canaanite pantheon, this god was called Yam. And Yam was terrifying. And Yam was something to be, you know, to cower before and to worry about and to try to please. And so I have this, this great book that I'm going to quote a couple times from today called The Symbolism of the Biblical World, Ancient Near Eastern Iconography and the Book of Psalms. And this, this is amazing. What this guy, is, his, his name is Othmar Kiel, and what he does is he takes all these old uh, ancient drawings and inscriptions and, and just really unpacks them and deals with what the symbolism is saying and what people were thinking and how they portrayed how the world worked and then how we see that kind of coming out of the Bible. And this is what he says about the sea. The men of the ancient Near East, to the men of the ancient Near East, primeval chaos is present in the sea. In Ugaritic myth, Yam, the sea, is the great antagonist of Baal. And so you read, so that's, that's what the sea is, this is great God to be feared, but what does Psalm 104 want us to, to take, about, take on about, this, about the sea? Verse 24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. And then the first, and it says, the earth is full of your creatures. And what is the first part of God's works that's mentioned? Yam. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. The sea is not some big thing to worry about and to be you know, cower before because it's this scary deity. It's something made by God. God is kind of above. It's one of his works. It's one of his creatures. You get the sense of this with Jesus in the New Testament, just to kind of skip ahead, that when Yom is having its way and the disciples are in the boat and they're 
terrified of Yom. I'm adding that layer in, because if you read the Gospels, it doesn't talk about Yom. But in a sense, in the ancient world, they're terrified of the sea and the power that's out there. And what's Jesus doing? He's napping. Do you ever have a sense like it's not the right time to nap? You know? <laughs> you're at work, you want to, but it's just not the right time. You know, you're going to get in trouble. Your, your, your gifts are required to deal with a situation and you, you know, take a nap. That's this, this is the quintessential time, right? And the disciples are terrified. Yom is going to kill us. And so they wake Jesus up and he just says to the Yom, he says, be quiet. And just calm. So you get a sense of how Jesus even embodies what Psalm 104 is already hinting at and showing us. But as a part of that chaos, monster of the sea, verse 26 continues the same kind of sense and says, there the ships go to and fro in the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Not necessarily talking about one specific creature, we don't think, more of a mythical sense of being, maybe it's referring to a whale, but maybe probably more so, just sort of a sense of this, this embodiment of all of our fears and the, of the chaos of the world. And so, again, from this book of ancient symbolism, the chaos monster, Leviathan, embodying the destructive raging of the sea in Psalm 104 is reduced to an object of divine amusement in the face of Yahweh's concentrated power. Leviathan frolicking in the sea. Do you see what's happening here? In a way, our worldview is being asked to shift. That in these awe-inspiring things that we have around it, there's a definite interpretation. And everybody has their, you know, you look at something in the world and you say, How do, what lens are you using to interpret that and to decide what you, you think about this? these things in front of you, this data, and we all have those lenses and often we don't want to admit them. But this psalm is going at those ancient lenses and saying, okay, it looks like the most terrifying deity that you must cower before. Guess what? It's not a terrifying de deity at all. It's God's playground where he's created these things to frolic and splash. And so... That's how this psalm is starting right away to tell us that in the awe-inspiring, terror-inducing things of this world, God's powerful spirit is pulsing. And then it talks about mountains, and it kind of sounds like, to me, like the psalmist is talking about volcanoes. Did you, did you sense that? I don't know if there's any other place in the Bible where it sounds like we're hearing about a volcano. Uh, let me find the verse here. All right, so <clears throat> as you go, you go further on here into, do, 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 do. it's towards the end. May the Lord, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. Verse 31, may the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks to the, at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Now, on the one hand, it sounds like a little bit like someone just told me a couple weeks ago. I had come back from Maui and I was telling this person about what, you know, some of the things we had done. Then they told me about what something she had done and how she had visited the main island of Hawaii and um, 
and gone up to actually see lava flow coming out of the mountain. And the comment she made was that this was, this was just an awe-inspiring, um, sensing the gravity and power, and that there was, she didn't have words for it. She was kind of fishing for words to describe the sense of seeing kind of lava flowing up and steaming outside of the earth. And in one sense, that I think is what I feel when I read Psalm 104, and it talks about the mountains smoking. But if we go back to the ancient symbolism and just listen in um, to what another quote from this book, there's a little more to that. Here's the quote. The arbitrary character of the mountains made them seem, like many other entities, to be spheres of the divine, even gods in their own right. And then this is a, so this is a fragment of a poem um, from an ancient inscription. And this is what it says. Beware of the mountaintop, for there is a lion in the pinnacle. She strikes like a wild lion strikes and pursues whomever sins against her. That's the world that Psalm 104 existed within. Mountains were also this terrifying power, um, immovable. Um, they're going to do something to you. You're not going to do something to a mountain. And then this is what this, this is the comment of the writer of this uh, biblical symbolism book. When the Psalms speak of mountains, they emphasize Yahweh's superiority over them. Yahweh is the name used for God in the Old Testament. The experience of the uniqueness of Yahweh has dethroned the mountains as gods. So Psalm 104 is teaching us in a way, as you look at the most awe-inspiring things around you, to say, that's God, God's breath, God's wind, God's spirit, pulsating throughout. And so we see this as the psalm continues. What does it say in verse 30? When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. God's wind, God's breath, God's spirit is what is pulsating, is what is creating life, is what is moving through all these things. That's how Psalm 104, that's how the author of the Psalms, that's how the whole psalm book wants you to look at the world and look at the you know, amazing things that you see around you that are jaw-dropping or goosebumpy. But what are the common reactions in our world today as we look around at, uh, at those kinds of things? I think that there's some different kinds of responses. I think that one of the most um, common ones that I hear is that people are sad. People are really sad about what they see in the natural world around us and what they hear and what we read. So, and I know that a lot of you carry this with you as, you, as the news reports come in and as one more you know, species extinction is coming or one more habitat loss is read about or some new um, kind of concrete evidence of uh, temperatures increasing around our planet. And so you look at Psalm, this Psalm 104 and you might look at verse 25 where it says, um, it talks about the sea and how it's teeming with creatures. And you might say, how much longer? And is it really teeming even as much as it was 100, 200, 300 years ago, and their sadness. And I think that's just one of the responses we have 
to looking around at the awe-inspiring things of the world, is how much longer will we have these awe-inspiring things? How much longer will we be around to enjoy them or to be awed by them? That's sort of one of our contexts. And another thing that I think is part of our context, and this gets more at our spiritual reaction to, um, and our belief reaction to the world around us, is that I think it's really common to just have a very impersonal sense of a spiritual reaction or a spiritual awe. And so it's, it's, it's you know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I go up to the mountains or I, um, you know, I'm amidst maybe a thunderstorm or I witness a tornado or I witness the ocean and I, and I just sense that I'm closer to some generic, you know, power out there. Um, it's impersonal and that's the most I'm comfortable saying, but it puts me in a kind of spiritual space to be in, in awe of powers and forces of this world. So you're familiar with this. This is probably the most politically correct reaction to the powers and forces of nature around us. The Christians get specific, though. Whereas it's, it's politically correct to be really impersonal about it, Christians get personal, and they say along the lines with... Psalm 104, that this is a real God that has taken on specific names throughout real history and real times. Like in Psalm 104, this is Yahweh. So it starts out with verse 1, praise Yahweh, my soul. Yahweh, my God. And it ends with, may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. This is Yahweh, the Lord. And that's how Christians go with the awe in nature. We have Yahweh. We have Jesus. We have names for this God and how this God has revealed himself throughout history. You know, a groom at his wedding doesn't look to his bride and say, I love women. <laughs> right? Just in general, generic, I love women. You know, the groom turns to the, the bride and hopefully says, I love you, Kara. And I, you know, I take you, Kara, to be my lawfully wedded wife. And in the same way, that's kind of how Christians don't just turn and say, you know, we see kind of the silliness in a sense of saying, Oh, wonderful divinity. It's, it's a pleasure to rub shoulders with you, or I'm glad you brushed me with your wing today, whatever you are. There's so much, the Christian's experience is of so much more depth and so much more realness when we realize it's this personal relationship with a real being that has a history and has contours that a relationship with a person would have. And it sounds really personal when the psalm is ending. I will sing to the Lord all my life. And that's like a vow, like a commitment. All my life. I'm, I'm committed here with you in a relationship. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to you. I hope I'm pleasing you right now. You know, that doesn't maybe happen with a generic sense of divinity. As I rejoice in the Lord, Yahweh. And so God arrives, you know, as we get into the New Testament, and as the story progresses, this story of God's grace that progresses and get, gets more complex as it progresses over time, 
gets more deep and rich in ways we don't expect. And as it does so, Jesus of Nazareth comes. And after his death, after his unexpected resurrection, after his unexpected ascension, then he showed us a remarkable thing. He showed us that this power, this pulsing power that's behind the greatest awe-inspiring forces in the world, that this power, his spirit, would now be unleashed on his people. It would now be unleashed in the church. And so, because it's Pentecost Sunday, let me read the shocking, surprising, awe-inspiring scene of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, ruach, breath, wind, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, it's reaction number one, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And they go on with the list. Pantheans, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? I said that was reaction number one. And there's reaction number two. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And really, there we have it. Whether it's the natural world or whether it's in the church, reactions will differ to the experience of God's power, God's breath, God's spirit. Some will be, you know, reaction number one, newly intrigued. This is, okay, things are happening here. I don't understand. They're kind of blowing my mind. What's happening? I'm a little bit amazed and curious. Others will come already convinced. Even some of you will come, God forbid, filled with the Spirit. Some of you will come be like the ones in the story, filled with the Spirit. God rests upon you with His Spirit. And then always there will be some who will chalk it up to the alcohol. <laughs> Let's pray. Our God of grace, may we find ourselves in those reactions, whether we sense the trueness and the realness of our, our being filled with your spirit or needing to ask to be filled because we believe in you, or whether we sense the truth in us being like those who were suddenly awake for the first time to your spirit. Or perhaps we find a lot in ourselves of just chalking everything up cynically to whatever it is, whatever's in the drink, or whatever other cynical excuse we use to write off things that really are just exposing to us 
your power right before our eyes. May, may your spirit help us find ourselves in this and seek you more in Jesus' name. Amen.